This is Dr. James Crosby, Head of Sustainability at Advantage Utilities. I'd like to ask, could your organisation be more of an energy sector hero? Are you interested in improving your sustainability as a business? Well, now you can obtain the expert view and guidance on renewable energy solutions, on-site generation, carbon accounting, and sophisticated grid energy purchasing options through Advantage Utilities. Our team of experts use the latest tools to better analyse, track and reduce your organisation's energy usage and carbon emissions. To find out how Advantage Utilities can become your one-stop shop for all your energy and sustainability needs, please visit www.advantageutilities.com or give one of our passionate and friendly team a call on 0208-131-4747. Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person. This week I am joined by Shay Barber. Shay is an incredible safety design engineer. With over 10 years experience in the energy sector, Shay, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much. It is an honor, great pleasure to be with you this afternoon. I've had the the pleasure and the joy of listening to a number of these conversations with some some phenomenal speakers that you've had on board. Um, And yeah, definitely a great honor to to be part of this. Simple introduction. My name is Shay Barber. I'm a process safety engineer. Again, as mentioned, I'm sort of moving into my 13th year in the industry. So number of different things, different number of hats that I wear. I'm a presenter, public speaker, um, engineer, and venture builder as well. Okay, excellent. That all sounds really interesting. So how did you get started off in the energy sector? I mean, it's been, I think I've had a very unconventional journey in the industry. Right out of university, I studied at Loughborough Loughborough University, uh, chemical engineering. And my first role uh, was actually a contract role. I was actually working out in Azerbaijan as an expat. So I had sort of a fantastic experience uh, working there for a couple of years on the Sangashar terminal. So great sort of in-depth experience right out of university. And that kind of kicked off the trajectory of my, my journey within the industry. And since then, I've had the pleasure of working on a number of different projects around the world, which has been sort of a great sort of eye-opener as to how the oil and gas industry is sort of managed both locally and internationally. Projects in Kazakhstan for Tengi Chevron Oil, which is a Chevron project. Azerbaijan with Baku. That was with BP as well, as mentioned. And sort of the list I can sort of run through my CV, but um, I guess people can catch it on my LinkedIn or sort of grab a conversation. Happy to, to diverge, but a number of different projects, which has given me a great experience so far. Now, that's, they sound excellent, actually. So what project have you enjoyed the most working on? Oh, that's a good question. I think ultimately they all bring sort of great variety of different sort of highs and lows as to what the project offers itself. But I try and look at the entirety and sort of the, the bigger picture of what I'm, I'm doing and what I'm working towards. So as much as I can have a great experience working on a specific project with specific people, I'm also very interested in the impact that that project's going to have and how it's looking to sort of develop and, and move things along globally and both on sort of a sustainable and impactful way as well. 
Okay. So you became a contractor expat quite early on in your career. Do you think that uh, that has helped you any? Or how did you go about becoming a contractor at such a young age? I think, like most young engineers, the hunt begins the moment you graduate or you've completed your, your final year exams and you're putting out your applications for a number of different roles. Um, I think I had gone through 23 different interviews and assessment centers uh, right out of university. number of good successes, great learning experiences as well. And I think I got down to about four different options, which was uh, a, a great success for me. But um what I felt was the most exciting challenge at that point was working with ABB on the BP project in Azerbaijan. So that was as a contract engineer. And before I knew it, not even up to a month after graduating, I was already whisked away and living as an expat. Okay. So how did you find that at quite a young age? Was it challenging? It wasn't challenging. I think for me, if I sort of take a little bit of a step back into my history, I've been in boarding school since I was nine years old, and that sort of continued right up until university. So sort of living away from home or living without family is something I was quite used to, even from a young age. And so for me, it was just the next step in my journey and the next step as to what I was doing in terms of building my career. And it just kind of, I had, dare I say, a bit more uh, sort of independence. And so having the opportunity to live in a new country, work with new people in a completely different environment wasn't such a, a culture shock to me. Though there were some very interesting experiences working in some of these locations, um, but certainly it, it wasn't sort of a, a major challenge for myself. Okay. So how did you go about looking for work? Because I know that we get a, quite a lot of uh, younger people, younger graduates, young engineers who listen to the show. So how do you how did you go about looking for work after leaving university? Did you did you start before you left university or did you just start looking after? So the good thing with a lot of the universities in the UK specifically is they have great relationships with a number of different companies who actually take the time to come and speak to a lot of the, the young graduates and the young engineers and present themselves as the next best place to, to be and to work in. And so we had Myself and sort of my, my cohort, my team of engineers, we had developed our, our key hot list of companies that we wanted to apply for and would be happy to work with once we graduated. And so we already had a great insight as to the industry, though specifically we didn't have that many oil and gas companies actually making those presentations. But myself, as I mentioned, I'm Nigerian, or I may not have mentioned, I'm Nigerian by origin. Oil and gas and energy sort of plays a very large, very large play in our sector, in our industry in Nigeria. So I already had the insight and the interest as well as being in the oil and gas industry and potentially sort of taking part of that in Nigeria eventually. Okay. You've had an amazing career so far. Have you had any role models and why did you find them inspirational? Definitely role models, yes. I think even looking for mentors within the industry, it's definitely something that you have to sort of be very intentional about, understanding the importance of having mentors, even uh, the mentors themselves, knowing the impact that they can really have on sort of young engineers and sort of shaping and crafting their journey. It has to be a very intentional, very deliberate act. I think for myself, though I do have some very key mentors, people that I have worked with throughout my career, mm. 
I also have a lot of informal mentors, people that I myself are sort of taking time out to study, to research, to learn about their journey, just to take a few uh, uh, tips and some suggestions and some ideas, things that they've experienced that I felt that maybe could sort of help me shape my mindset, shape the way in which I was looking and approaching certain opportunities or certain parts of my work. And that's been a great way to help me sort of navigate through a lot of the, the challenging thoughts, processes, or experiences that I've been through. But I can definitely pick up a few people that I feel have sort of stuck with me, believe in one of my first roles. Yes, working on my TCO role with Chevron Kazakhstan, a gentleman called uh, Andrew Reed, fantastic man. He's also um, working in, as a safety engineer. He's a very in, uh, interesting individual, and I've had the pleasure of uh, sort of crossing paths with him all across the world here in Nigeria in the UK on a number of different projects as well. And just to note how impactful he was uh, to my journey, uh, simply because I felt that he was able to be himself, though he was uh, um, he had the ability to be very technical. He was still a, a great communicator. He was a people person, and he knew how to really engage with people that he was working with. And that has been sort of very instrumental as to a lot of the way in which I approach my contracts or approach my work or approach my businesses, uh, simply because I appreciate the, the impact that having great relationships, building rapport has on people. And I guess he really taught me to, uh, to be myself and to understand what it is that I have as a value that what I do can create a value. And that has been sort of very impactful as to sort of how I sort of, as I mentioned, navigate my way through the industry. Okay. That sounds amazing. So you were going on about how you would research some people that you find inspirational. How would you go about doing that? So ultimately, I think for understanding the different dynamics that I felt that a lot of energy leaders have, just in terms of their approach to sort of problem solving, their approach to driving and creating a lot of value in the industry has sort of sparked a lot of sort of creativity in myself um, and a desire to learn more as to how to, to better move and be more impactful in the industry. What is the most challenging thing about your current role and how do you handle them? Oh, the most challenging thing about my current role, I think ultimately it's more a challenging era for, my, for myself and, and my industry as well. For some of you that know that's in, within the industry, we're seeing a great transition, especially within, uh, well, as the energy transition, moving from our, uh, a lot of our fossil fuels, as we've seen in coal or in oil and gas, and now moving into more sustainable forms of energy. Um, and so even just understanding how to apply my skill sets or my experience in, in a new and a creative way has been um, a good challenge, uh, something that I've been ready to sort of rise to. But I've also realized that I needed to do a lot more learning. So recently, I've actually started as a student at the University of Oxford. So that has just, I felt, been, been an opportunity for myself to learn a lot more um, about the industry. And the course I'm studying is the future of sustainable business. And so my focus will be on energy transition. Um, so we're trying to see how a lot of these new or existing international IOC companies in the oil and gas industry will now have to play their part in being or working towards more sustainable and greener environments and greener world. Okay, excellent. So you're currently doing a, is it a degree, master's at Oxford? Postgraduate. 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 That sounds amazing, actually. So is there anything that you still want to achieve in your career then after you've finished that? There are a number of different things that I'm looking to achieve at present. I'm actually sort of in 
the process of developing a startup business, which I've called uh, Sea Energy. So Sea Energy is um, a UK registered renewable energies business, simply born with the sole purpose of addressing and solving some of Nigeria and even Africa's toughest challenges through sort of sustainable, innovative and sort of creative chemical engineering and technology uh, to solve some of these issues. Okay. That sounds amazing. So is it just a new venture that you've started or how are you going to... It's been in the development stages for a few months now. Uh, We're still sort of doing a lot of our research and development. But I mean, we're looking at over the last 20 years in Africa, we've seen a number of these key issues plaguing Africans and plaguing their environment. It could be sort of pollution, sort of nationwide waste management, energy fuel shortages, or even accessibility to to energy and fuel. And now more than ever, uh, the cost of living and employment. So what I envisage or my plans in sort of driving, I've seen the ability where we can use a lot of these issues and actually create opportunities for Africans and for people across the continent. We've seen or I've seen the scalability or the commercialization of license for innovative sort of waste of fuel uh, industries within sort of the technology to produce biofuels through major companies uh, like BP, Johnson Matthey, and even Fulcrum Bioenergy. They've had the ability to develop sort of great technology. And I see great application in what they're doing and the benefits that it will have on Africa and its climate in the number of years to come. Okay, excellent. So have you always wanted to be an engineer as a young boy or did you want to do anything else? Oh, did I want to do anything else? I think I have uh, a creative side uh, to myself, but engineering has always sort of been part of who I am. Conversations with um, sort of my mother, she would explain that it's always been um, part of my nature, just in terms of sort of problem solving. There was a a child's toy set called Connects that I used to play with um, quite a lot, and it sort of used a lot of the, the fundamentals or the foundations of engineering in terms of sort of designing, creating and crafting. And I've used that a lot throughout my career, studying sort of maths, chemistry, physics um, in school as well. But I always had the understanding that I was working towards being an engineer. But then at the same time, I've appreciated that I enjoy interacting with people. I enjoy sort of speaking. I enjoy um, sort of bringing people together. And more recently, after moving to Nigeria in about 2015, I've had um, sort of the opportunity to explore, dare I say, the entrepreneurial nature in sort of building businesses and different concepts, um, both in technology and in energy as well. So that has given me the drive to kind of use a lot of the skill sets that I've found in different areas to help drive forward my career and sort of move in the direction that I feel that I would like to go. Okay. That sounds amazing, actually. So in your opinion... If you were going to hire someone, what would make an outstanding hire? What makes an outstanding hire? Uh, I mean, I, I look at my my hiring experience anyway. It's certainly very important. I mean, initially we're, we're met with a lot of candidates on paper who may have great degrees or great grades. So it's very easy to sort of separate people based on their accomplishments or achievements. But for me, it's sort of very important to have the understanding of how best would this person fit in with the culture or with the, the work pace that we have in different businesses or in different organizations? Um, being able to really communicate what you be it technical or whatever the sphere which you're working in, uh, to me is a very important skill to have. And that plays a key role in my, in my sort of my hiring process, trying to find or even to, to weed out the best candidates. So it's important to, um, to look at these um, criteria, not just simply based on their academic successes, 
but understanding are these sort of more well-rounded peoples, do they have the ability to really kind of make decisions? And do they have the ability to be decisive? Are they sort of innovative and creative? And do they also um, have the ability to work with people? Fortunately, working in different projects around the world, I've had the ability to actually work with people from around the world as well. So understanding how able are these people to adapt to different scenarios and different situations, and to also have the ability to work with people from different backgrounds and different cultures and different levels as well. Those are all sort of very important skills that I believe help make sort of the best candidates to hire. Okay. That's interesting and quite insightful. You were saying before that uh, when you left university, you ended up with quite a number of uh, job offers. I was, I remember you saying you maybe had four job offers on the table. How did you manage to achieve that? Because that is, that is quite an achievement, actually. I think it's, it's really hard. hard to get one. Some, some graduates yeah. find it really hard to get one. Most certainly. I think definitely the times have changed. The uh, industry has changed as well. I'm dating back close to about 15 years um, now, sort of looking at that moment, the moment of graduating. So the industry has changed. The demands as well of human resources has changed um, ultimately. And I think I worked on the basis of volume. I had put a, a number of different applications day and night. It was a consistent grind just ensuring that I was making myself very visible, knowing that I felt that I knew I had the value to offer a lot of these companies. So it was initially a numbers game, being able to ensure that I had put myself in the best position by ensuring I had placed myself in front of all of the best companies that I wanted to work for. And ultimately, once sort of given the opportunity by an interview, by an assessment center, then you're sort of given the opportunity to at least present who you are more as a person, as opposed to just an application on a page. Okay, so how did you make yourself visible then? So it's very, I mean, I think back to some of the assessment centers and interview uh, processes that I've even been through, even more so even recently in my, my current career as well, just understanding the importance of being able to connect and engage with the people that I'm, um, I'm actually having conversations with. This, I, I, I can't underestimate, I can't overestimate the, the importance and the power of this tool of engaging with people. And there are a number of different things that you can engage, different topics you can engage on, but just finding a good common and level ground that um, can start a conversation. Most people, especially those who study sort of degrees or courses such as chemical engineering, have already shown their, their, chemical, uh, their technical proficiency. So we already know that they are working or they have a certain level of uh, sort of skill or training and the ability to do what they need to do. And so for me, it was sort of been very, very important just to get the opportunity just to engage, just to at least get that conversation going and to show that I really had the drive and the ability to uh, to exceed at what I was doing and that I was determined to, to, to do my very best and to be the very best. Okay. So what kind of topics would you engage, try and engage people in then? Uh, uh, let, let's think back. It, it could be anything. I mean, a lot of people skip out on small talk and the power of small talk as well. I think people underestimate the ability to connect on a variety of different topics. I remember speaking to a previous global engineering manager through the hiring process as well. And I had mentioned my journey of being in Nigeria. Um, I started my own consultancy in Nigeria, which took me traveling across Nigeria, the different states, more like more so down to Port Harcourt, which is where a lot of the oil and gas companies are. And we were able to connect on that. He had mentioned he had traveled to Nigeria and had spent some time there. And he mentioned that he had worked on projects throughout Nigeria. So you would find opportunities and conversations and topics to engage on. On It could be anything. We could talk about 
anything that's probably in the news that people can relate to, people that can understand what are going through in different sort of situations and times in their lives. And these just enable you to just to build that rapport. And I believe that's a, a very powerful tool to have. I think so too, actually. And that's really good advice. So what is your zone of genius? What are you most excellent at? Oh, my zone of genius. I, I believe I, I have a level of awareness of myself. I feel that that is very important to have. I have also passions and uh, things that I'm very interested in, which when I believe I spend a lot of time in sort of craft and to hone in my skills and ability, I have the ability to kind of apply myself to anything. But I've learned, I mean, as I was sort of in school, I was also in theatre school. So I took some time out to be that person that was actually in theatre school whilst um, still um, studying during my school time. So I realised that I had a passion for performance. I had a passion for speaking. And I felt that these are some of the skills that I actually enjoyed and they came quite naturally to me. So those were sort of key things that I felt I could utilize throughout my career. But what the key thing, what I felt was an underlying important factor was I, I'm a person of the people. It's a very interesting term to use, but I definitely believe in the power of engaging and the power of sort of connecting with people. So if I look through some of the businesses that I've started up, uh, some of the enterprises that I've been a part of, uh, the key fundamental sort of factors that underline all of them is um, helping people or working with people. And that's something that I want to sort of continue to key in throughout my, my career. If in it, even if this is part of my presenting, where I feel like I'm connecting or bringing people together to have conversations and create a community, or it's within the oil and gas industry or the energy industry, where we're looking at sort of transitioning into being a more sustainable, impactful energy industry, where we're actually looking at improving the lives of people, improving the, the welfare of people as well. Or it could be in some of the startups that I work, just in terms of supporting a lot of young people, mentoring, training, and developing young people as well. So we can see that that common thread will continue through a lot of the things that I do as I continue to progress through my career. Okay, that sounds excellent. So I just wondered, have you ever encountered any career disasters? And how have you handled them, actually? Career disasters? When I say it's a disaster, I would say it was a major challenge. I've worked as a project manager, a project engineering manager for Unilever in Nigeria. Unilever was going through its own transition and a company called Upfield had purchased a number or parts of its business. So I was in charge of the engineering management of the development of um, a product called Blue Band, which is a, a, a margarine or soft spread in Africa that is manufactured by Unilever. We were in charge of moving our production facilities from all across West Africa um, into Nigeria and developing our production, our West African production hub based in Open State. We had a number of different challenges, simply just transporting, number one, getting our equipment across the borders. We tried by road, using trucks. We tried by air, using cargo um, planes. We tried by boat, using sort of fleets and ferries and so forth. So we had a number of different challenges. At that time as well, the borders had been closed by the Nigerian government. So we weren't able to get items across the borders. So we, we reached, uh, we went through a number of different challenges in that project. But it really did teach me a lot just in terms of having to find sort of creative solutions when you have a client that has their own production schedule, their own deadlines that they must meet and other people that they must answer to. At the end of the day, you're the person that has to create the solutions to get this project complete. And for me, that was definitely uh, sort of a career challenge that really put me, put me to the test, sort of living and working in that environment 
was something that has sort of changed and shaped me in, in a very positive way. But yeah, I can definitely list that experience as one of my great career challenges. Okay. Now that's good and sounds amazing. So what keeps you going when things get tough? So for me, I believe throughout my life, I, I, I'm definitely a man of faith. I have a sort of a great relationship with both my family and um, with my, I call my God, with Jesus. Uh, so for me, I definitely believe my, my faith is something that keeps me going. Definitely some challenging times, definitely certain situations that don't turn out the way that I, I thought they may have done so, but always sort of understanding that there is a greater outcome that will, that will sort of happen from a lot of my experiences. So it's just sort of ensuring that I can keep myself on track and keep focused and keep sort of driving forward. And more recently so, I've been married, I have a son now. So they also keep me going consistently, day in, day out, just making sure that I can do everything I can for them. So for me, those are my, my key sort of factors that keep me driving, keep me going in life. Okay, that's excellent. And family, family, yeah, family is very important as well, I think. So how would you describe your typical working week then? Ooh, typical working week, it does vary. Ultimately, I, I will spend the majority of my working hours on my employment. Uh, that is sort of my, my key focus. I spend a lot of time. I really dedicate my time to when I'm working on a project or if I'm working for a company now. So that is what I spend the bulk of my day doing. I do like to sort of work out to, um, or to run or to, to, to try and stay as fit as I can. Uh, so I'll definitely sort of spend some time on that um, at parts of my week. But then I'll also ensure that I... I can carve out time to spend with my family, even to spend myself. I do like to sort of de de-stress. Reading is a great, a great time. It helps me to sort of decompress a lot during my evenings, uh, even sort of during my commutes to work. So I try and sort of use different pockets of time to to help support and to keep myself alert and awake. But my weeks can vary a lot, just depending on uh, what I need to achieve in that week or in that month. Sort of very adamant that I like to schedule out my weeks and schedule out my time so that I can make the most of it. But the good thing is that no two weeks are the same, no days are the same. So there's always a new challenge, always something that will come um, unannounced and just making sure that I'm prepared to, to address it and to, to overcome. How do you decide what your priorities are and what to work on first? That's a very good one. A very good question. Priorities will always change. I've, I've noticed you ultimately have different goals in different eras or different phases of life. And I think it's up to you to understand what it takes to achieve those goals. So for me, I've even had the, the great uh, pleasure of reviewing my last um, five-year plan, which actually ended at the beginning of this year, uh, to the end of 2022. Uh, so I had to start my next five-year plan. So for me, it was just understanding what I needed to achieve um, across the next five years and then being very realistic and very honest with where I was um, or where I am at different stages or different phases within that time frame, um, and understanding how to adjust based off the different circumstances that you find yourself. So I'm very grateful and very happy that I was able to achieve a lot of the things that I set out to do in my first and my first five-year plan. And now it's just even understanding my role, even sort of as a father now, at the time that I must commit to my wife as well and my family, my home, even the different business ventures that I'm part of, being able to sort of carve out and prioritize time to sort of focus and dedicate my, my, my skills and my time set, my value to that. So I really just look at what I'm trying to achieve at different phases and I'm able to sort of schedule accordingly based on that. 
Okay. So you were saying that your five-year plan has just ended. And have you made up a new one? Of what, I have, yes. Yeah, what's going to be in it? Oh, that, that I think ultimately it's a very, this is a very intimate list to create. I, I mean, I've shared it with my wife, but I don't think I've shared that. I, I'll share it out to the world. But ultimately, it's continued to drive in uh, my desire to be very sort of impactful, both locally and internationally, in terms of the business ventures that I'm, I'm working on and the lives that I want to reach and, and touch. And those will continue to be the underlying tones of what I do year in, year out. So I think ultimately that's, that will be the, the underlying crux for, for my five-year plan. Okay. So do you think having a five-year plan is really important then? I think it's more important to understand yourself and to understand what you want to achieve. Um, having these five-year plans are great ways to structure your thoughts and to actually document as well. I think they're very important in that sense. But I don't believe they are the be-all or end-all. I think you have the capability, the ability to surpass your five-year plan so I don't believe the importance lies in the plan, but the importance lies in knowing who you are, knowing what you can achieve. And I think once you have a bit more of that self-awareness, you're able to really sort of be honest with yourself and actually achieve and, and have the ability to drive forward with what you want to do. Okay. So did you finish 100% of what you wanted to achieve in your last five-year plan then? I definitely didn't achieve 100%, but I was in the good 80 plus, I think. Yeah, they are. I, I achieved a high, a high score, if I, if I do say so myself. Uh, but ultimately, I think where I fell short were maybe some of my uh, financial targets and aspirations, uh, simply because life changed as a married man and a father. You know, your savings priorities are very different. But ultimately, yes, I think I was able to achieve a lot of what I set out to do, which is very encouraging. No, that sounds amazing. It's, uh, yeah. So... So if you were going to delegate any work, who would you delegate that to? And what kind of work would you normally typically delegate? Okay. In terms of delegation, I think it's very important to know the people in the team that you're working with, first of all. Um, know their strengths, know why you have them around you. And that will enable you to sort of delegate specific tasks uh, just to free up your own capacity uh, to make you more efficient or to make you to give you the ability to do more of what you need to do at different times. But typically, the type of work that I would delegate, um, or it would more so be work that I know can be sort of outsourced. I had to go through um, a very interesting phase of learning not to, dare I say, micromanage or to, to cloud over a lot of the work that I like to get done, simply because I like things being done in a very certain way. But then I appreciated, I had to learn to appreciate that I had hired or I'm working with people simply because they have the ability to do certain things. And so that I feel it's very important that you hire people that are almost better than you, that are better than you, that have the ability to do things better than you. That way, when you are delegating tasks, you give them the freedom to be very creative, the freedom to to do things from a different perspective. And most of the time, you actually have a better result and a more cohesive, more cohesive and more rounded result from that task that you wanted doing. Ultimately, I'd look at, um, I wouldn't say more administrative um, work because it really does uh, depend on the project or what we're doing. But again, ultimately, I would ensure that I have um, the right sort of competent staff or, or team around me that help, can help drive forward a vision or a mission. Okay. And do you think it's really important that, to be able to hire someone that's maybe better than you? Because of that, for some, even for just some managers, that might be a scary prospect to do. Um, well, I think ultimately, if you have the desire to 
do something great. You want to have the best people around you. So whilst I can appreciate that, yes, that might be scary or it might be daunting for some people. I think ultimately, if you have the desire that you really want to achieve great things, you need to have the best hands. And so for me, that has been the journey of understanding and really kind of putting that into into play. I've had great people as well that I've worked with. And so I've realized that it may not necessarily be in the sense of hiring people. I may need to partner with somebody that has an existing establishment or an existing setup. And I can work with them to create that vision or to bring things to, to fruition. And so, yeah, there could be a combination of hiring people that have sort of great competencies, partnering with people, or even sort of outsourcing specific parts of what you need to do to a technical expertise, or to someone that has a technical expertise. That just makes life a lot more easier for yourself and for everybody else when you have people that have the ability and the capabilities to, uh, to achieve what you need to do. Okay. That's wise words, actually. Thank you. That is and great advice as well. So I'm going to maybe finish up. If you could turn back time, would you change anything? I wouldn't change a single thing. You know, ultimately you, you believe that there are, there are certain things that you want to achieve at certain points in your life. But I want to maybe see that a lot of things that I felt were tough or challenging at that time have literally just been great learning lessons for me, great situations with which I've grown from. And so I felt they were necessary for my journey. Um, once again, uh, I mentioned before my faith. Um, so I, I strongly believe that all things will work together for my good because I believe that there is a, a, a calling on my life and there's a the reason why I'm here. There's a reason why I do what I do. There's a reason why I am the way I am. So I, I definitely sort of have that in the back of my mind when I look back on things that maybe didn't go the way I thought they would. And that enables me to, to truly believe that every lesson or every situation was there for its purpose. No, that sounds amazing. So that's all the questions I have today. I would like to thank Shay for your time. That brings us uh, to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.